What a twist! M. Night's gone, it is gas. M. Night's gone, a heart of glass. <laughs> I can keep going. Uh, <clears throat> Alright, welcome back to the Wages of Cinema. Uh, I am Jack, as always, and here with me tonight is, who are you again? Wifely Duty Corey. Oh, I've never met you before. <laughs> it's so nice to meet you. Twist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so this is going to be another one of uh, these reviews, um, kind of similar, if you, if you happen to check out our um, the episode on uh, Bohemian Rhapsody that we did a couple months back, um, that was a movie that I actually saw without you. Yes. And I don't think this was me being a bad husband, right? No, not at all. Okay. In fact, not taking me to see this is the kindest thing you've done. <laughs> like so if I today. So if I child leashed you to see Bohemian Rhapsody in class, <laughs> you would probably be a much more unhappy wife, right? True. That uh, would be a truly terrible wifely duty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, you could go see it and just close your eyes and think of England. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the phrase? All right. But like I said, we, Bohemian Rhapsody, I saw it. Corey didn't. I saw the new M. Night Shyamalan thriller mystery wazuhuzifuzu glass. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, you don't have to be that sorry. Spoiler well, I, alert, you already told me you hated this movie, so... You, but you don't spoil it for the audience. They're, you know, they're on the edge of their seats wondering what I'm going to No, the think. people are going to want to know that you Oh my God, right Darth Vader is Luke's father. <laughs> Stop the presses. Um, no, I uh, didn't care for this movie. Nope, no sir. No, I didn't <laughs> care for it. No, this is bad! <laughs> oh... <laughs> oh, glass. Oh, man. Would you say I, you hated it? You hated it, you hated it, you hated it. Kind of. Uh, Alright, well, to give this some context, I think it's worth talking about uh, the other two movies that are part of this uh, quote-unquote trilogy. Um, God, the fact that this is a trilogy is just uh, mind-boggling. Um, I don't even know if there... I wonder if there's a name for the trilogy. There probably is, and I... Just don't know it. Um, and and part of why I wanted to talk about this too is because earlier today um, I rewatched uh, Unbreakable. Why are you looking at me like that? There are two reasons why I'm looking at you like this. One, because it seems you are the only survivor of this train wreck. And two, you don't have a scratch on you. I know what's going through your mind right now. You're searching for meaning in all of this. No one thing. 131 people died so you could finally understand the destiny for which you were born. Which 
you have not seen. I saw 10 seconds of it today, though, over your shoulder before I left for work. Yeah, and uh, what do you think of those 10 seconds? I didn't like them. I thought they were stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what those 10 seconds were? Yes. Okay, let me tell the people. Yeah, because okay. let's see how you judge an entire movie by 10 so, seconds. Bruce Willis is sitting on this train. Yes. The train, I've never seen Unbreakable, but I know the basic premise. Like, a train crashes, everyone dies except for Bruce Willis because he's unbreakable. And meanwhile, Samuel L. Jackson is super breakable. He's got, like, brittle bone disease. Yeah, he has some, like, they give him a name, like, Osteoporinazidabu. So, Brittle bone disease. Samuel Jackson wants to, like, kidnap Bruce Willis or something and suck out what's unbreakable about him and inject it into himself so he stops breaking, right? That's, like, the plot of the movie. Sure! <laughs> Let's go with that! Sure! That, that was the premise of that movie. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I kind of want to see you now remake Unbreakable. Yeah, he wants... <laughs> no, keep going. Keep going. Tell me what you think Unbreakable's about. Well, that's what's about. That Samuel L. Jackson reads the news. <laughs> he sees that Bruce Willis is unbreakable. And he's like, I gotta get me some of that. So, he kidnaps Bruce Willis. And, like, performs experiments on him to figure out why he's unbreakable. And at some point, he tries to, like... Suck out Bruce Willis's essence and inject it into himself, so he can be. <laughs> what is he like? What is this like, Batman and Robin? He's getting like the essence of Bane and putting it in. That's wow. what I thought the movie was about. I need to. I think we need to do a new series where you describe what you think a movie is about that you haven't seen. No! That's really not the movie. No! No! The scene that you watched is just the opening scene. Okay, so let me tell you the ten seconds of the movie I saw. Yeah, you saw a scene where Bruce Willis is talking with a girl He's while he's on a train. And And this scene is stupid, okay. You know what's funny, though, about that? (laughs) No, no, no. I was taking a a class, a a screenwriting class when I was an undergrad, Uh. and I'm not going to say the professor's name on... uh, on mic. I'll tell you who it was. Uh, I know after. who it was. Yeah, so don't 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 t- don't say it on. I mic. won't say it, but I know who it was. Yeah, and he actually showed us that scene and was basically jizzing all over it. I'm not surprised, given what I know about this professor. <laughs> okay, but anyway, here's what was stupid about it. So it was how it was shot. No, like it wasn't shot great because it was super duper close up. Yeah. Like, really close up. Too close up. Mm -hmm. So I didn't like that. But also, I thought the dialogue was stupid. So here's the dialogue. The chick and Bruce Willis are having this totally innocuous, small talk conversation about football. Well, no, he's hitting on her. But he's not hitting on her. He he is trying to hit on her. And then she was like, I'm married. I can't do this. I have to move to another seat on the train. It ends a little abruptly, but I think the scene is fine. All the 
All they did from what I saw was like she asked him if he was into football and then he said no, uh, not really. Okay. And then she was and then he said something like are you from Philadelphia? And then she's like I'm married, I can't do this. You so, know, we're going to spend the entire <laughs> podcast now just talking about this one scene. So, That's the real <laughs> twist of the glass episode. <laughs> okay, keep going. Um so his, like, hardcore flirtation was when she said to him, like, are you interested in football? He said no. And then he said, like, are you from Philadelphia? And then she said, no, I can't do this. Stupid. <laughs> um, All right. Now let me tell you what Unbreakable is actually about. Okay. You were right. Based on, I guess, seeing the trailer 20 years ago and forming an assumption about it, that the start of it is that, yes, Bruce Willis is on a train, it crashes, um, everybody dies. Everybody on it dies. Then he um, is leaving the funeral and he finds a note <coughs> on his car from a special shop called Limited Edition, oh, which is owned by Samuel Jackson. I have a question for you. Do they address in the movie how he doesn't figure out he's unbreakable until he's, like, 50 years old? They Do they ever uh, acknowledge, like, why did he never notice that, like, he never the, stubbed a toe or broke an arm or got a cold? Okay, or... let me get... <laughs> All right. You're going to explain this? <laughs> God, calm down. Calm yourself, woman. <laughs> or else I'm going to make you really do some wifely duties. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Anyway. No, Samuel Jackson just tur- like he appears at first to just be this guy who runs this like uh. art gallery that has like comic book art. Okay. Um, and but and there's actually a really there's actually a, a cool scene where we first introduced him as an adult. We're fir- we were actually at first shown a couple of scenes when he's like the very first scene that you didn't see in the movie actually is when he's birthed no i saw that and then they asked the woman like did you drop the baby and she's like no yeah, and then he's like the baby's bones are all broken yeah 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 so there's that and then like as a kid he's given like a comic book and that sets him on his path of life there's this great scene where he uh is like telling this like guy in his art gallery all about like this one uh uh collectible piece and then the guy makes the mistake uh, as he, he says, I'll buy it. And Elijah's like, great, I'm going to pack it up for you. And the guy's like, oh, my kid's going to love this. And Elijah's like, what? How old is your son? He's four. And Elijah, like, flips out and, and like, tells him, you cannot buy this. This is art. If you want to buy something for your kids, go to a toy store. This sounds stupid. It, well, no, it was kind of a fun... Well. You got to picture that it's Samuel Jackson delivery. This is how M Night thinks people really talk to each other. <sighs> All right. Well, let me get though to. Well, actually, you're well. You're bringing up something actually about my rewatch of Unbreakable, but I'm going to get to that because now I want to just tell the people who haven't maybe seen Unbreakable what it's about. Oh, by the way, there are spoilers because screw you. This movie's 19 years old. Um, and if that's not a contradiction, I don't know is, but. Alright, so Samuel Jackson's character isn't trying to extract his unbreakable essence like it's Dr. <laughs> Strangelove, really? you crazy person. <laughs> no! <laughs> Fuck no! Alright, what he's doing is he's basically aler- like kind of alerting Bruce Willis to the fact that, huh, yeah, it's kind of weird, like, 
because he gets a note. The note on his car says, "When was the last time you were sick?" And so he kind of talks to his Rob to his wife, Robin Wright, and is like, "Do you remember when I was sick last?" And she's like, "I don't know." And it turns out he's never really been sick in his life, and it, it slowly dawns on him because it's one of those things that human beings maybe take for granted. <laughs> I don't know. I think I would notice if I made it to like 50 years old and never gotten sick. If what if I... <laughs> you were like unusually healthy? <laughs> okay, but anyway, so the story unfolds and it's basically David discovering, oh no, I really do have these abilities. Like, I can lift weights real good. I can, you know, I, I actually have this kind of inherent ability where um, like he works as a security guard mm-hmm. and He's always had this kind of thing where he can sort of sense if somebody's up to something shady that's uh-huh. there for a game. But as it turns out, Samuel Jackson kind of helps him understand that, no, you actually, when you kind of brush up against people, you can kind of see like a flash of the really horrible thing that they just did. Whether it's like some, they might have just stolen a necklace or as the climax of the movie is somebody is holding like people hostage in their house okay. and might kill them. So, um, and the, the only thing though, that the, the thing is he has these abilities, but he can still die from, for example, like he almost dies as a kid. Cause these kids kind of, you know, accidentally drown him and he gets like pneumonia. And that's like the one time in his life he got sick and there's also another flashback to when there's something about like a car crash that he was in when he was in college. And at first he thought, no, no, I got injured during that. But then he remembers, no, I, no, actually I did survive that okay. So I know all this sounds like it's stupid, but this is actually M. Night in good mode. This is act- like, and a lot of that honestly is on the performances. I think this is actually Bruce Willis when he was trying. <laughs> There's a lot of times where you could tell Bruce Willis just showed up, give me my fucking check, fuck you, Kevin Smith. <laughs> um, but this, he was actually really trying to give a good performance. Samuel Jackson is is really just, forgive the pun, bone-chilling. <laughs> uh, Robin Wright is the wife, she's really good. And there's, like, really... And if you're seeing the movie for the first time, there's some genuine suspense. So for so Bruce Willis's character, he has a son, okay. and the son is learning all this stuff about his dad. It's like, man, you're so awesome. I want to see you do more and more things. And you know, Bruce Willis is like, no, no, this isn't. You're you're getting this all wrong. It's not like a comic book. And it leads up. It culminates in this scene where they're like in like they're sitting around their kitchen. And the son got, like, the gun that, like, you know, is kind of hidden, you know, in their house. And wants to shoot Bruce Willis to see if bullets bounce off him. And that is, oh, that scene really holds up. Because you don't know if he shoots him, is the bullet just going to bounce off? And, and like, it's the one scene where Bruce Willis shows, like, an emotion. (laughs) And it works. Alright, so let me lead up now to what Samuel Jackson's plan was all about in this movie. Okay. It turns out he staged, he, he, he set up the train to 
Crash. Okay. He also did two other things. And he references these, like, a couple of times, actually, in the movie, but he doesn't obviously say he did them. He references, like, three kind of big disasters. A hotel fire, an airplane crash, and this, uh, uh, this, or it was an airplane, something with an airplane, and this train crash. And the hotel fire and the airplane incident, everybody just died. Nobody survived. Train crash, oh my god, this guy lived. And so it's basically his, Samuel Jackson's character, Elijah, his whole plot has been, if I'm like this broken, brittle, miserable being, there's got to be somebody all the way on the opposite end of the spectrum. And twist. He's discovered it. It's actually a twist that works, though, because it's kind of revealing about how fucked up Samuel Jackson is. So he's become deranged by his own illness. You yeah. know what I think I would like this movie better, mm-hmm. though? What? This movie that I haven't seen? Yes. I think I would like it better if Samuel Jackson's just committing all these terrorist attacks and he doesn't find the other version of himself. Like, the Alpha oh, so to he, his oh, Omega. Oh, so if he was the main character of the story. Yeah, and he's just blowing stuff up because he's embittered by how broken he well, is. Well, it's also like he's maybe read Watchmen one too many times. No, I think that would be a really cool movie. And he becomes convinced, like, if I'm so broken, there must be someone, like, super strong, but he never finds him. Yeah, um... That's what I would do if I remade this movie. But I'm really... <laughs> so it wouldn't involve, like, sucking his unbreakable juice. <laughs> like, right. like as if it's like Austin Powers 2, <laughs> and they're sucking out Austin Powers' mojo. That's pretty much what I thought the movie was, that Samuel Jackson no. was trying to, like, harvest Bruce Willis no, the, strike the No, guy. the whole point of Unbreakable and why it still mo- <laughs> largely works is because it, it's striking this realistic tone. And it was done at a time when we didn't have, like, a hundred comic book movies coming out in a year. In, in mm-hmm. fact, this was before, you know, like, M. Night has said that he pitched the movie, and they were like, uh, comic books? Are you sure you want to focus on that? You know, I mean, uh, I mean, you can do what you want. You made the sixth sense. You have a blank check, but... Um, there And there's actually a couple of genuinely funny scenes in the movie like what happens is samuel jackson uh, his character um he can walk but again if he he he's very easily broke he can break very easily and there's this great scene where bruce willis thinks he found somebody that had like a gun that was going to come into like his uh arena but he kind of but he he said like i'm gonna I'm going to set up this thing where I'm going to pat people down and then this guy's just going to go away. And he does. But then a lot, but then Samuel Jackson sees him walking away and he follows him to try to find out, did he have the gun or not? And there's this great little set piece where the guy goes down, is, has already gone down these subway stairs. Now Elijah has to go down them and you're watching him (laughs) like, and you know, it's going to happen. And then he slips and you see, a broken uh, Sam Jackson. I wonder, though, if I try to watch Unbreakable now. Well, I was going to get to, though, before... Sorry, let me just finish this. 
then cut to a couple scenes later, and he's in a wheelchair in a comic book shop. I've and seen that scene. You have? Well, no, I haven't seen that scene. I saw, like, a still from that scene. Yeah, well, there's this, like, he's just kind of sitting there and doesn't want to leave. And the guy who runs the shop is like, hey, man, I'm closing up. You gotta go. And so as he's trying to wheel him out, Samuel Jackson keeps on, like, steering, like, in different <laughs> ways. And is being such a douchebag. But it's hilarious. Did I ever tell you that even though I've never seen Unbreakable... I sketched Samuel L. Jackson from that movie in my art class. Really? So here's what happened. Once in my art class for Black History Month, we had to draw pictures mm -hmm. of our of like black celebrities or black um like artists or inspirational figures. So we yeah. had to pick someone that we really loved who was black to sketch for Black History Month. So I decided to choose Samuel L. Jackson, and I really liked his hair and Unbreakable, mm -hmm. which again, I've never seen the movie, but like I've seen stills from the movie, I've seen the trailer from the movie, so I drew a horrendously bad um, portrait of Samuel L. Jackson from the movie Unbreakable, because I have less than zero artistic talent, so... This was actually the inspiration for a Black History Month project I had in high school. <laughs> but you also now have revealed yourself to be a hack fraud because you never watched the movie. Well, I liked Samuel Jackson, so I was like... And I could have sketched him from a movie that I had actually seen him in. Yeah. But I really liked his hair in Unbreakable. Right. Yeah, but now to sum up my thoughts, so I, I had seen this movie a few times over the years, like three or four times, uh... Since I first saw it in the theater, and about ten years ago, I rewatched it, and I thought, "Oh my god, this is actually incredible!" Like this, actually, this not only is this Shyamalan's best movie, like I think it might be genuinely a, a great film. Watching it today, I still I do like it, and I think most of it works, but I can already see in this film the. There's this there's this British film critic uh, named Mark Commode, and he when he reviewed Glass, he said about Shyamalan. I totally agree. He quoted Spinal Tap, where there's there's a line where there's a fine line between clever and stupid, <laughs> and I think that there's also a line between interesting and pretentious. And there are certain times, not throughout, but there are certain points where you're watching the movie. And I can feel like Shyamalan is saying, like that scene on the, on the train in a way, but other scenes where it's like, oh, look at this shot. Look at this. Look <laughs> at what this is. This is unusual. <coughs> Which you would see him then do over and over again to much more you know, hilarious degrees and like the happening and, <laughs> uh, and other things. But it's still largely works because it's really trying to stay true to the characters and as silly as some of the things I'm describing sound and how like oh what the hell is that it's played for real and it's played like especially if you're watching for the first time you you'll probably get more sucked into it maybe see I'm wondering though <clears throat> if at this point I could never really take the movie seriously because... Because of your preconceived thoughts? Because of my biases Even about though I... Shaman as a director. <clears throat> and as a, particularly as a screenwriter. Because he's not a terrible director, he's just a terrible screenwriter. <laughs> it, there is some of the... 
there is some dialogue that is certainly a little bit overdone in this in Unbreakable as well. But let's let me move on though from this because I want to talk about Unbreakable at night. Um, because in this trilogy, I talked actually about Split a couple years ago on the podcast uh, with Andrew, but um, what did Andrew think of Split? I don't remember. I don't think he saw it. I was sent to get you for a reason. Open the door! There's a flower on the pillows, a flower in the bathroom. Like, we're important. The only chance we have is if all three of us go crazy on this guy. Who is that? Maybe she can help us. We're here! Help us! We're in here! Don't worry. He's not allowed to touch you. He knows what you're here for. I think I just saw it and wanted to talk about it. Um, and so, but I think it's important to give context to talk about Unbreakable and Split because they are, at the end of Split, they reveal, oh my God, Bruce Willis is here and it's been a tie-in to Unbreakable all along. And it... Now, watching Glass, it, let me ask you this. After Split, did it really feel like there needed to be a sequel? No. Yeah! No, no, that, no, no See, no, that no. is going to be my main theme <laughs> going on with Glass, talking about it. Because, it, it, you know, I teach my English students this idea of what, what comes from Aristotle, this idea of like a, lot, a triangle where you have pathos, ethos, and logos. You have, you know, a work that appeals to emotions. You have something that has logic to it and something that feel you feel like the author has credibility. That's ethos. I don't know. Maybe Glass has some ethos? Not, not ethos. It has some pathos? Ethos and logos? Does it justify itself to <laughs> exist? No. 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 M. Night didn't do that. This movie feels like a first draft like a, the script and it's like his other movies it, it, he he's had such a checkered career as we know but at least in those cases maybe he worked on multiple drafts and they just were all terrible drafts this it this is just half baked because if you're going to follow up on split you would think Okay, maybe let's try to follow um, the Horde, the James McAvoy character. Let's see him if you know, because he's he's still out on the loose by the end of Split, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, because I I remember that I think that was the case. You'd think, all right, let's follow him on going on more adventures, so to speak. And at the beginning of Glass, that seems to be what's happening. Like, the opening of Glass does a good job, actually, well, I thought of, okay, they're bringing together these two characters. Now you flash ahead 19 years, and David Dunn, that's the Bruce Willis character, he now has his own security company, and he works with his son. His son's kind of like his Robin, uh, and he's, like, at, like, a computer and kind of helping his dad, like, as he goes out and, you know, basically acts as, like, a, a vigilante. 
and he he brushes up against uh, you know James McAvoy, uh, Kevin, and oh my God, Kevin has four cheerleaders tied up in a, <laughs> a warehouse, and so David you know tracks him down, and they have a fight. It's like all right. All right, good start. This actually had a decent beginning to it, okay. you can imagine. Although it's actually marred, I got this is a little side note. So Shyamalan has obviously a cameo in every movie because he's a egomaniacal uh, freak. Um, Did he write a book that will save the world this time? No, but here's the weird thing. So technically, you would think, okay, in because in Split, he had a cameo. He, yes. which is a pretty bad cameo too, if I remember. They have he has <laughs> horrendous dialogue with the therapist character about Hooters chicken wings. Yeah, it's oh. so awful. It it oh man, it makes like the worst Tarantino ripoff scene seem credible. Um, so you, but here's the weird thing in Unbreakable. Shyamalan actually had an okay cameo. He had the kind of cameo that if you didn't know who he was, you would just think, okay, this scene just happened, whatever. He plays a guy who, he plays a, a character that when we're, we're seeing uh, the David Dunn, Bruce Willis uh-huh. character at work, again, he's a security guard at this uh, football arena. He happens to kind of spot that M. Night uh, is ma- dealing drugs and... Then he's kind of caught and then kind of scampers off. And it's a good little moment. It's not... there's The dialogue is actually okay. One and done. It's... I feel like actually it's starting with Signs was when he started to get inflated about his cameos. You remember he played in Signs? No, who'd he play in Signs? His character is the guy who... Like, I, I guess had, like, the car crash with Mel Gibson's family or something. Do you, do you remember? I don't know if you remember that. Or, well, like, because his I wife only, died. Well, yeah, his wife was, like, crushed, like, between a car and a wall or something. Yeah, and it was, um... But I think she swerved from, like, another car, maybe. And yeah. Shyamalan plays the, played the guy who, like, caused the wife's and accident to happen. And there's this dumbass callback in the dumbass ending of that dumbass movie. And, yeah, there, but, and, well, there's a line that Shawan has it where he's like, it feels like this was a re- like, this happened for a reason. Like, one of those things. But anyway, <laughs> so, what I'm getting to, though, is the cameo that he plays in Unbreakable, that character is at the beginning of Glass. And we know this because it's like there's a scene where they're in a secure, like the, the, the David Dunn security office, and Shaman is there, and he's like, he, he doesn't even, he suddenly sees Bruce Willis and goes, Did you work as a security guard? I used to have a really bad life, but you actually turned me around. And <laughs> But that doesn't make sense, because it's supposed to be the same universe as Split. Why isn't he playing a third character? What happened? Is there two M. Knights in this world? Is he twins? Where one character led a bad, drug-filled life, and the other one talks about Hooters? Alright, so that happens early on. But the rest of the opening is okay. Um, It immediately starts going off the rails because 
So Sarah Paulson, you, you saw her in the trailer. Yeah. She's this doctor at this institution. And what her game what what she tries to say is gonna be her thing is you you know, she she's she's holding both David Dunn, Bruce Willis, and Kevin. Okay. And she wants to try to reveal that you know you you both you you think that you're com- like superheroes, but I'm going to reveal that no you you don't have superpowers. Does she want to harvest their essences? <laughs> <laughs> I want to stop and purify all their precious bodily fluids, Mandrick. Um, no. Uh, no. No, well, also, it ha- just so happens that the Samuel Jackson Elijah character is at this institute. And so, the middle section of this movie, which feels like it goes on forever, is when I suddenly started to realize, and pretty quickly, this movie has no reason to exist. That is the major problem here. In a way, it's almost worse than something like Leading the Water, because at least... That was self-contained, and it was its own kind of megalomaniacal monstrosity, (laughs) but at least it was kept there. This is, you know, this is him trying to create his own lore, his own mythology, and it... The scene after scene happens in all this dialogue. There's like this ten minute scene where Sarah Paulson has um, Bruce Willis, James McAvoy, and Samuel Jackson all like sitting in front of her, and it it just it means nothing. Especially when you know, I I frankly I knew going in what the twist was, so maybe that didn't help a lot. But even so, watching it, I just. Well, well, here, let me get back to Split, though. By the end of Split, did you think, oh, someday, uh, if there's going to be a sequel, Anna Taylor-Joy has to be in it? She's the lead in Split? Yeah. No. Yeah! Doesn't it seem like at the end of Split, she's done? Her story's definitely concluded. Her story is (laughs) definitely done! But no, they bring her back in this movie, and... What does she do? Well, apparently, well, they first... At first, they just have her. She she goes into like the principal's office or school or whatever, and they tell her, "We found the guy that you know kidnapped you," and uh, and she's like, "I want to see him." And so apparently, her role in this is that she can somehow bring out Kevin, because I guess the thing also, um, that, also she says in in a, in a line of dialogue that. Now her uncle is in, in jail. Again, so you rewatch Split. What was the whole thing about, like, there was a whole thing where the movie was trying to be about, like, shared trauma? So, I, we saw Split in the movie theater. Yeah. And we both enjoyed it a lot, although we thought it was hella dumb. It was very dumb, but yeah, kind of entertaining. It was, uh, as if you don't. Unlike Unbreakable, where you can try to buy into the realism so that the more fantastical parts can come out organically, Split, 
you can't take realistically because if you do, then you have to call Shyamalan on his bullshit with treating DID. Now, when I say I rewatched the majority of Split once on TV, <laughs> I didn't watch the end. Like I watched the beginning of the movie. Oh, I watched... but the end is like the most fun part when he becomes the Beast. Well. There was some reason why I didn't finish it. Like, I didn't just choose to stop watching it. Like, I had to go do something. Yeah. So, like, I was watching it on TV, and then, like, I had to go to work or something. Yeah. So, I didn't finish it. But, so, I don't remember how exactly Shyamalan scripted the whole, um, being a victim of trauma gives you powers. Yeah. Like, it, yeah, because that's, like, the thing, too, that they bring up again in Glass, the fact that he, it because his mother tortured him with, like, a coat hanger, he got split personality disorder, and that also led to his real superpower, which is the beast that comes out. Yeah, and, and it, then... Like, it's... Because the, the Anna Taylor-Joy character has been molested by her uncle for years, that's what gives her the power to survive when the girls that she's kidnapped. I forgot not about survive. that. What? So yeah, there. Are I these, forgot that that was a thing in that movie. There I were re- these flashbacks, like throughout the entire movie, there were these flashbacks mm. to the lead character hunting with her father. Yeah, yeah, and I her remember father's that. Teaching her to right. hunt, but then her father dies, and then her uncle is the one who like teaches her to hunt and by teaches her to hunt i mean molests her yeah and then there i think there's some scene where like she almost kills him when she's a kid i think no no i do remember that too but yeah so they bring anatole joy back in glass and it just it, it doesn't feel like it makes any sense you know even with my little memories of split it felt like they crammed her in uh, the David Dunn's son, who's played by the same actor from Unbreakable. That's that's actually okay. Although he weirdly looks like Haley Joel Osment. Because I think in Unbreakable, <laughs> they got like a kid to be clone of Haley Joel Osment. Have you seen Haley Joel Osment lately? Yeah. He's a really weird looking guy. Well, so is the guy who plays the son in this. Uh-huh. And then also, <laughs> here's a hilarious part. So, in Unbreakable... Samuel Jackson's character, uh, Elijah, he has a mother, and the mother is the one who tries to um, to help him become, you know, not so afraid of break- being broken and all this stuff. And in Unbreakable, the mother is now obviously older. The <laughs> In Glass, they bring back the mother, and she... Jesus Christ, how old is the mother by now? <laughs> Well, that's the funny thing, because Samuel Jackson is in it, and they make up the mother, I'm not joking, like Miss Clara from War Room. <laughs> <laughs> like, they give her, like, a wig and slather on a little bad makeup. How old is Samuel Jackson by now? It, well, He's, like, in his, like, late 60s or something, isn't he? Yeah, I think in... Glass, they're supposed to. She, he's supposed to be. Well, no, no, actually, now he just turned seventy. In no, I mean, in the movie Glass, I think he's supposed to be in his 
early, mid-60s. Now, Samuel Jackson does look younger than his chronological age. I think he can play I want to look up now because I want to say that the actress that plays Samuel Jackson's it's mother... Like younger! <laughs> yeah, she's younger than him. Well, let me just see this for sure because I... I just got to know. And, you know, it could have been so easy if, if M. Night really had to work in this mother character to, I don't know, recast with someone else. But no, the mother of uh, Elijah, born December 20th, 1953, and Samuel Jackson's born in 1949 or 1948 or something <laughs> like that. So, yeah, they do. Oh, man, they do her so bad, man. And she's there basically to, like, pull off... Like, she's there mostly because they need to have someone at the very end. And it, like... Oh, my God. Oh, man. So there's, like... There's a whole stretch of this movie where fuck all happens. I was sitting in my seat just being bored. And that's the thing, is that a good chunk of this movie is really dull. It's just watching M. Night trying to spin his wheels and justify, like, why he's doing this. Why do we need a movie where we're basically, like, for a good at least hour and 20 minutes, we're just watching stuff between Bruce Willis, James McAvoy, and Samuel Jackson in this mental institution, and sometimes having Sarah Paulson staring at the camera with, like, her calm, lispy voice. and no Is she an insult to lisps? It doesn't feel genuine. Huh? Does she... Ha- is she have a real lisp? No, she isn't a real lisp. No, then she did it for this movie, and it's I don't unnecessary. Think, I don't think you could be a professional actor and have a real lisp. I feel like there must be some. Oh, lisp. you know what's a lisp? That guy on The Sopranos that we were watching, the guy who played the cop. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, the cop? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, probably one. him. But, All right, anyway... I have a question for you, though, about the movie. <sighs> okay. All right. So I've seen the trailer for the movie. And the color scheme in the Institute looks really weird. Like how the Institute is super pink. Well, there's and... one. Well, there's a room that's pink. The, the kind of interrogation room where they line everybody up. and The yeah. color looked very garish in the trailers. Yeah. Is I... the whole movie like that or just a few scenes? I think that and maybe one or two other scenes. But other than that, it's not that bad. Like, it... But watching it, I just kept on thinking, you're not justifying the use of these characters. You could maybe do something if you really wanted to do, like, this Batman v Superman-esque, you know, collision of these two characters... But it act, but it just reveals what little he really has to work with. There's no like he reveals that if he wasn't going to do something actually really smart, he shouldn't have tried to follow up Unbreakable and Split, and you know put them together as this thing. Because Split really, if you took out the Bruce Willis scene. Would you think of that as, like, a comic book-themed movie? No, not at all. And the thing in Glass... So, ob- so it's one thing that Sarah Paulson tells Bruce... He, she tries to tell Bruce Willis, you know, you think you have superpowers, but you aren't. You, you, you know, you, you basically play magic tricks. And, uh... And 
But then she tries to say that to uh, Kevin, James McAvoy, and he's like, comic book characters? I don't know about that. Oh, that's a good question. Um, When I listened to the NPR review of this movie, they mentioned how this movie Glass feels totally out of time because it feels like M. Night Shyamalan made it in an alternate universe where we're not inundated with comic book movies all the time. Yeah, well, that that's the thing. Well, once the once the big twist is revealed, which frankly doesn't feel like much of a twist. Yeah, because, what's the twist? Because well, because well, it... watching it, you would think, okay, so Sarah Paulson is up to something. She just seems way too sincere about this mission statement and frankly somebody who specializes in people who think they're comic book superheroes (laughs) that premise is dumber than anything in unbreakable and even dumber than anything in split at least split as dumb as that movie can be it works in its own kind of b movie logic once you throw out that it has anything real to say about dissociative identity disorder. You can just enjoy watching James McAvoy play, like, you know, several different people. Just give yourself up to the ham-boning. This doesn't do that. This has the portention of, like, Batman v Superman. It thinks it has something to say about how people don't really... People don't believe in, in... things anymore they don't really believe in higher things like that somebody can have superpowers that's really the main thesis statement of this movie that is kind of that he's leading to it by the very end of this yeah now the twists i got to go through some twists because eventually you realize okay so elijah he's obviously up to something spoiler he gets james mcavoy out he has this whole seeming plot to lead him, the two of them, to this tower that's opening up in Philadelphia. And by doing this, they're going to lure out uh, David Dunn. But there's a subversion, quote-unquote, because instead of at the tower, they made a pretty low-budget movie. They have a fight in the, in the parking, parking lot. lot. <laughs> yeah. And he, so, twist number one. It turns out... Now, again, I don't know if you remember this from Split. I forget if they had this flashback in there. Kevin's father, you know, went away. He was out of the picture. That's why mother, you know, his mother took over and abused him. Kevin's father... Oh, is daddy back? No, no, no. Kevin's father was on the train that crashed. Oh, my God. Now, they're not... Now, he doesn't try to... Now, Shalom doesn't try to make it like... Oh, you know, like Elijah planned this all along. It's like an it's it's an un, unintended consequence. But like this is found out because Bruce Willis's character, his son, finds this out. He's doing like research or whatever, like in the middle part of the movie. That's I guess what he's doing. And so the beast, like then like. Elijah has this monologue at James McAvoy, and oh my god, oh, he tries to say, like, 
I created you. If it wasn't for me, your mother wouldn't have abused you and brought out the beast. You, your mother brought out your full potential by abusing you. What the fuck? <laughs> okay, so that's thing number one. Number two. Turns out Sarah Paulson... Yeah, not quite who she said she was. I'm oh shocked. my god. Yeah, I think even if I hadn't known that going in, again, that probably didn't help my viewing experience, but even so, just her whole delivery in this movie is so like you can we're not dumb, M Night. We we've kind of learned things over the past twenty years. We can't be spoiled we can't be twisted anymore. Um the big twist is and, oh my god, how do I say this? Um, do you remember Halloween 6, when we watched that? The Curse of Michael Myers? Yeah, and how there was, like, this cult. Yes. There's kind of a cult in the world of Glass, <laughs> where it's, like, this group of people who all have, like, these symbols, like, these star symbols on their hands... That's how they identify themselves. And as it turns out, Sarah Paulson is, you know, le leading all these uh, characters together so that she can wipe them out. And so, spoiler, um, by the end of this, Bruce Willis, Samuel Jackson, and James McAvoy die. Wait! Bruce Willis is unbreakable! Well, no, because, well, they drown him. Oh, yeah. Like, because he can still... So his lungs can break, it's just not the rest well, of Well, no, he can still... I think the like idea is that, like... For example, if he got shot in the head, I think that he would die. That's why, again, that whole scene in Unbreakable I was telling you about, where the son, you know, shoots, like, is has the gun on him. There's actually a great line of dialogue where Bruce Willis tells his son in the scene... If you shoot me and the bullet bounces off, I'm going to go to New York. You're not going to see me anymore. I'm going to leave. I'm going to be very mad. <laughs> I'm going to go away. <laughs> it's a very funny scene. Oh, that's another thing. The son character in this talks and acts like he's still, like, ten years old. Even though he's a full-grown man. <laughs> yeah, I was say, the movie Unbreakable is... 19 years old. And, yeah, and the thing, again, with Split, like I said, you would you think watching that movie, okay, so Ann Taylor-Joy's character, she does get close to Kevin over the course of the movie, and they have kind of a connection, but by the end of it, you don't think to yourself, oh, someday these two are going to find each other again. No, because Kevin still kidnapped her, kept her in captivity, tried to kill her. Yes! No, but in this movie, she's like, almost like a healing presence. Like, she can help tame the beast. She's basically now, like, they, he's transformed it into literally Beauty and the Beast. Words not what you're hoping would yeah. happen all along. And, you know, James McAvoy is still trying in the movie, and Samuel Jackson is kind of having fun here and there. He almost has that kind of... He, he's one of those actors who can tell you a lot just by looking in his eyes. Bruce Willis is not acting in this movie. He's phoning it in. But, alright, but here's the one big final twist. So, the... So, again, the Sarah Paulson character... 
this quote unquote doctor who's really trying to go around and like wipe out superheroes, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, you know, she thinks she's been successful, but oh my god, all these cameras, which Shyamalan has shown repeatedly throughout the movie, it turns out. You know, like she, Paulson thinks, oh my, like I, I, you know, none of the footage has been saved, but oh my god, Elijah set up a live streaming feed, so all the video of this big battle that happens, um, this big fight between Unbreakable Bruce and the Beast James McAvoy, um, this is leaked to YouTube, and all of a sudden, people can are seeing superheroes. Twist. Twist. Didn't I just blow your mind, Corey? My mind is It's superheroes. They exist in the world. Don't you feel inspired now? This is such a novel and impressive um, contribution to pop culture in a universe where we have the MCU. <laughs> I was gonna say this happened already. This happened at the end of the Avengers. Wasn't that the whole thing at the end of the Avengers where already, by the way, we had like we people already knew about Iron Man and yeah. you know, a number of those characters. So even though I've not seen this movie, I'm gonna co-opt the NPR criticism that it's really stupid M. Night Shyamalan made this movie with seemingly no um, knowledge of how, like, the pop culture environment has changed it's, it's since a, he it's, made Unbreakable. It's a novel comic book uh, movie for 1992. <laughs> it's it's a movie that, like, oh my god, footage is leaked and everybody's watching it now. How do you, like, like there's a scene where, like, near the, like, at the very end, the... The hilariously make-upped Samuel Jackson's mom, uh, Anna Taylor-Joy, and Bruce Willis' son are, like, sitting in a train station being like, I uploaded it two hours ago. It should be setting up any moment now. And then they watch as person after person gets the notification on their phone, and they're like, oh my god, oh my god. And the video that they're watching, it's just, oh my god, Bruce Willis bent an iron bar across a door. And uh, the oh, beast flipped a car who over. Who is that reviewer that we listened to that mentioned like real life people can do that? Dan, Dan Olson from Real Folding Life Ideas. people can flip cars. Yeah, that's what real I was thinking watching it. Real life people can bend iron. Like it, it, if you were wa- if you were or I were watching this, I don't think we would immediately go like, "Oh my god, superheroes exist." We would think, "Wow, that guy is on a lot of PCP." Yeah, I mean. Most people can't do those things. You and I and couldn't also, do those and things. And it's also redundant because this footage of the Beast, I th- correct me if I'm wrong, I think at the end of Split, there's this big story out in the news about this guy who ran amok through uh, the Philadelphia Zoo. Yeah. And that's how Bruce Willis first hears of him. So people already know about this beast guy. So, and so as if it's like, oh my god, this big revelation, we've been found out. Superheroes aren't a secret anymore? That's your twist? It's very dumb. Oh my god, it's so dumb. And it's like, 
somebody on my Facebook said, did I just, like, hallucinate the final 20 minutes of this movie? Because <laughs> it is so dumb. It's like, part of Elijah's plan, evil plan, is Beast, go, you see that gigantic tanker of water that's conveniently right outside? Go throw Bruce Willis in there so he can drown. And I think now we've reached the grand unifying theme of M. Night Shyamalan's career, which is that all his movies are dumb. Like, some of them are fun dumb, some of them are boring dumb, some of them are infuriating dumb. He's he's, He's so full of himself. Before we start recording... You said that you wished he was more like Michael Bay. Okay. See, I don't know if I agree with that. Here's my thought. Here's why I said I wish he was more like Michael Bay. I really think M. Night Shyamalan has some, like, visual talent. Not in glass, apparently. See, I don't even know if he has, like... I mean, he, he can compose a shot... But he sometimes, I think, is too in love with his shots. That's something he has similar with Michael Bay. Well, that, again, it feeds into his self-importance. Because when you watch Lady in the Water, that's a badly directed movie, too. The Happening is also badly directed. But I feel like there is some kernel of, like, visual talent there. The problem is, he never figured out, like, Honey, you have nothing to say. It's, well, I Don't, like, I believe that, like, his delusional belief that he's a screenwriter (laughs) is, um, like, I feel like if he had the attitude that, like, I'm just gonna be a soulless director for hire and help other people, like, execute their vision but we have but we've seen when that happens it's called after earth oh god that movie was hideous (laughs) wait did he not write that movie he is credited as a writer on it but i I think the movie was really will smith's baby like he came up with the story it was a very bad baby (laughs) (laughs) we don't even know if it is a baby um so i kind of wish that maybe someone like Brett Ratner. I kind of wish M. Night Shyamalan had, like, the soul of Brett Ratner. You mean he, that he was a soulless hack? Yes! Like, or, I... Or, no, let me let me be more charitable. You wish that he could actually take more of the journeyman route. as exactly. opposed As opposed to, I am M. Night Shyamalan. I am the auteur of the generation. Exactly. I, I, like, th- I, think, I think, think... I think that the problem with him is he... He had, like, the Kevin Smith problem, but, like, a hundred times worse. Because he, you know, they put out that Newsweek article cover where they called him the next Spielberg, which was ridiculous. Well, yeah, we also have this theory, both you and I, that it's not good for a director long-term to have, like, tons of really early success. Yeah. And to, like, not have to struggle and really, like, work your way up. Yeah. I think Spielberg and maybe Tarantino are the big exceptions to that. Everyone else (laughs) seems to kind of implode when they get that much. So we said that with Kevin Smith. The fact that, like, Kevin Smith just, like, snapped his fingers and was instantly successful, I don't think it's been good for him long-term. Because eventually, he ran out of stuff to say because he never had to learn and yeah. grow and challenge well, himself. What I think makes Glass, though, so infuriating for me, though, is that Unbreakable 
he did have something he was trying to say, and he was mostly actually successful at it. And to see him, like Bruce, the Bruce Willis character in this is completely wasted. He doesn't have any arc. He doesn't. Nothing happens with him that of any significance. They try to jam in, like they jam in actually a lot of flashbacks to Unbreakable too. Um, they try to make something resonant between him and his son, and to amp up. Oh that yeah, we heard bit. that in that review. That they literally like replay clips from Unbreakable. They replay clips from Unbreakable. Oh, and there's one kind of funny bit to me where Bruce Willis is like sitting in his kitchen. This is before the mental institution stuff and he like looks over like at the uh-uh. stove and he has like a little mini flashback and you see like a woman standing from behind and he goes up to her and is like audrey what's going on and it's supposed you know that logically okay they couldn't get robin right <laughs> So they had a woman just stand there <laughs> and pretend that he was talking to the Robin Wright character. But yeah, like, I wish someday M. Night would realize, like, you're a journeyman, not an the author. Prob- if, if, the problem is, that could have happened, actually, with After Earth, but then he decided, oh, no, no, you know what? I'm just going to go back to the well and, you know, make something extremely low budget. And... To be fair, The Visit was actually is probably his best movie in a long time. Yeah, I kind of like The Visit. Like, it wasn't great, but it was actually kind of a fun movie. And it might be the last time, dare I say this, that found footage was kind of used effectively. Yeah, like, now found footage is totally dead to me, and I literally never want to see another found footage movie again. What, the what, Visit was, like, the last one. Which is funny, because you say that, but I thought... The end of found footage for you was The Gallows, and that came out around the same time as The Visit. Oh, well, I'm not keeping track of things like that, but... <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I... Yeah, but Glass is a prime example of him with his head so far up his ass, and, like, thinking that he has these incredible things to say, like... There's one point where, I'm not joking, Samuel Jackson, he's, like, his character is dying, and he's having, like, his final words to his mother, uh-huh. and he says to her, this wasn't a limited edition. This is an origin story. Oh, my God! Yes. Those words are spoken in so this. So, what did he die of? Did he die of, like, being extra brittle? <laughs> Pretty much! Yeah, basically, the beast knocks him off his chair, and he dies from, like, having broken bones. But if he had broken bones his whole life, why did these broken bones kill him? I think that it, like, punctures his heart or something. They don't really show it. They just show, like, the beast kind of punches him once, and he's, like, dead in five minutes. Well, I understand if he's super brittle, like... A punch from the beast would probably yeah. devastate a normal person. Do you know what kills the beast in this? What? One bullet to the gut. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know if maybe it's supposed to be, like, some special bullet, but, like, I feel like in Split, they show, like, pretty well how he's also kind of an unbreakable character when he becomes <laughs> the beast. I'm really glad I didn't see this, though, because... I feel like you might have had some fun in the climax. I wouldn't 
I don't know if you would have liked the middle section because of just how droning and how, like, I, again, I was just sitting there thinking, why? That's why I post on Facebook. <laughs> why is this happening? Why are you telling this story? This is not, like, this is an example of, like, an unnecessary sequel. <laughs> this is what we sometimes get on you know, certain comic book movies for. Yeah. You know, and he didn't see that because he's, you know, clearly surrounded by yes men and yes people who, you know, won't tell him, maybe you need to do another draft on this. And unfortunately, Split was a huge hit, so. And I think this will be a hit, too, unless if it just stops making money. So the marketplace is spoken. Yeah, well, well, with Split, I think people were kind of, they thought, oh, wow, this is uh, kind of creative. You know, you made this uh, crazy little movie with a guy who has multiple personalities, and, and James McAvoy pulled it off. Um, frankly, I would have liked to have just seen, uh, you know, if you're going to do another movie with the McAvoy character, just do a movie with him. Yeah, why do we need these lamos, Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson cluttering up the screen. Yeah, well, either... It, it, and it doesn't work to bring them together because the... If there was more terrain to explore with the Bruce Willis character from Unbreakable, you should have given him another movie. It almost... It has that problem of where... Um... Only worse, like, when I, when I look at the DC universe uh -huh. and how they made Man of Steel and thought, okay, we're off and running, let's go put him and Batman together. No, you didn't do Superman right. You gotta do him right yeah. first. And, you know, granted, they did Unbreakable right, but it's 19 years later and you're just... It's like you're jamming him into a movie with this character. It reminds me a little bit of your problem with uh, Infinity War. Yeah, so... You know, where you... I remember in our in our review, you said this should have just been a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yeah, and that I didn't really need to see everyone else and yeah. the Avengers. This is a little bit like that, and like I said, it just doesn't justify itself. It doesn't. Thing... It doesn't have any logic, because... You don't really know what the message is until it's way too late, and once you find out the message, it's completely fucking stupid. I don't think, I don't think Shyamalan really knows that people don't really go around thinking to themselves like, "Why aren't there superheroes? <laughs> we have nothing to believe in anymore." Oh my god, this whole we're, we have nothing to believe in, and. Oh my god. It's also the kind of thing, too, both Unbreakable had this, too, but in Glass, the idea of uh, comic books, these characters have superpowers, they're only slightly exaggerated from how people are in the real world. <laughs> and, oh man. If you watch... Well, I would tell you someday, Corey, if it's on TV, you should have it on the background. And then, I mean, you could be on your phone, maybe doing stuff, and every once in a while, you could go up and go like, what? <laughs> it's kind of <sighs> sad, though, that this movie couldn't <sighs> handle an ensemble cast of three people. Well, really four people. Oh, Sarah and, Paulson. Well, Sarah Paulson, she's almost wasted here more than Bird Box. Which is too bad, because she's such a good actress. She but... is a good actress, and... 
you know, clearly she probably took this role because she thought, oh, this is a big M. Night Shyamalan movie. I got to do this. And then she didn't think, uh, have a critical thinking moment and think, no, it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. I should go away. Yeah. You know, the reason why, I don't know, maybe James McAvoy just saw Split as a challenge, but, like, I don't know what actors would still want to work with him, man. Well, I guess the thing is, even though his movies are mostly crap, I guess enough of them are hits that he's considered, like, bankable. Yeah, it's, it's, don't, don't go see Glass, people. That's, that's my final thoughts on this. Don't, uh, just save your money, don't leave the house. Uh, if you really feel the need, watch Unbreakable again. Uh, Split's or, fun. Or, I guess, Split. You know, you could have a banana split with your buddy <laughs> James McAvoy. He plays Hedwig. That's the <laughs> character that, like, whenever he does Hedwig, it's, like, so weird. He does, like, a nine-year-old boy. Um, so those are my thoughts and Corey's thoughts. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, did I make you want to see Glass at all? No. <laughs> well, I was already leaning against seeing it. I think earlier on, I think you were still like, maybe I'll go see it. Yeah, but then the reviews started coming in. And then I was like, yeah, no. It It is almost as bad as late, something like Lady in the Water. And... Because it has that same thing where, you know, Lady in the Water is him giving you a message. Uh, this is, like, messagey Shyamalan. And as you know, like, I take seriously the idea that when you pay to see a movie, what you're communicating to the world is, I want more movies like this. Give me more of this. And not only that, here's, a, here's something else to tell you. I saw this in IMAX. What? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, I might as well see it as big and loud as I can. Well, I mean... So I was very big and loudly bored. <laughs> I mean, blessedly, for the people, he has AMC A-list. He didn't actually pay out of pocket for this. No, but, but I guess that still means that I paid to see a ticket for... But basically, I didn't want to give this movie money. Because, like, when we saw Split... Which, what year did that come out? It's just two years ago. So that was pre-Movie Pass, right? Yeah. yeah, we actually paid tickets to see Split. Okay, so. But that, but again, but you went into that not thinking it was part of this grand cinematic universe. I you do were just... feel a little responsible for Glass because I did pay to see Split, and I you're, liked it. You're you're the author of my pain. <laughs> and again, I don't think Split is a good movie. I think it's really dumb because again, all of Shyamalan's movies are dumb. Um, yeah. but I think it's on the, really on fun. the dumb scale. All right, if we have a dumb scale, <laughs> and you know, like laying the waters way up there at number ten, <laughs> and you know, around number nine, you have the village and the happening, and yeah, uh, then at number eight, that's where you get signs and Last Airbender after Earth. Unbreakable is at a at a two or a three. It has a little bit of dumb stuff, uh. but it's not that dumb. Glass. So to speak, breaks the glass ceiling. So would you say it's the dumbest M Night movie? Uh, it's such stiff competition. It it has even just in little dumb stuff. Just to I know we were already I'm already winding down, but just even little things like, for example, the like the orderlies in the hospital. Um, by the way, weird weird thing to mention: one of the orderlies is played by the actor who plays Lenny Bruce. 
on uh, Marvel Smith's Maisel. Oh. <laughs> some he's in this. Eh, no, yeah. don't say poor guy. He got paid. Um, but he but, should but, get but, like, paid the, for doing better. But, like, for example, the orderlies... The whole reason that Samuel Jackson's plan, un- un- like, is able to unfold, is because somehow over time, like Elijah's character, like his character, has charted to the dot how much, um, how much time the orderlies aren't around watching them in their rooms because you know they might try to escape. So that's, for example, a dumb thing, and just. Just everything, like, uh, all the character choices, how they kind of retcon things about the characters. Because an Unbreakable Elijah isn't, like, this grand criminal mastermind. He's a guy who kind of gets lucky a few times to pull off these devastating disasters to try to fill up, to try to fill, like, his own megalomaniacal needs. Um, and... But in this, he's basically like, I've studied all of the um, blueprints of the building. I know everything. I know how to do but all this computer stuff. I also saw stuff. in the trailer, there's, they keep him doped up all the time. Uh, well, do you believe that they actually, like, he actually takes the pills? They should be injecting him, not giving him pills to swallow. Why would they trust him to swallow pills when they can just inject him? I don't fucking know. I don't know why he's at the... It, oh, this is the same brain genius who gave us aliens will come to a planet that's 80% water and be allergic to water. Um, yeah. I think M. Night has some weird thing maybe with water because <laughs> Lady in the Water, you know, uh, the water and signs, uh, this guy David Dunn, his one thing is water. Yeah. Water, water, water. The same genius who brought us will talk in affected, stilted period language in the village, even though we don't have to, because the kids we're raising <laughs> in the village would have no point of reference to figure out that, like, quote-unquote modern dialogue is in a... Uh, I'm just gonna... Alright, you're, you're, you're gonna explode if we keep doing this podcast. Um... Alright, if you guys have seen Glass, uh, please let us know, because I want to hear your thoughts and feelings and uh, other stuff about uh, the Mr. Twisty um, man. And uh, remember, Wage of Cinema, Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, you can try us all there. Um, When we come back next time, hopefully we'll talk about better movies. You know, maybe M. Night could make some good Lifetime movies. No! No, don't give him Lifetime movies. Are you crazy? I don't know. I actually think his um, level of bold, ambitious, like, stupidity might be just what the Doctor ordered for Lifetime. Mm, you mean, uh, would he give uh, some women uh, a good taste of uh, toast jelly side up? Reference to Devil, a movie I actually have not seen. I saw it, and guess what? It's really dumb. (laughs) (laughs) So until next time, I'm Jack. I'm Corey. The Wage of Cinema is dumb, 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 (laughs) dumb, 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 dumb. And hugs for everyone but M. Night Shyamalan. Twists. (laughs) David Dunn, the only person to survive that train wreck all those years ago. What do you do? I'm in security. You think you have superpowers. It's a feeling. Vision. 
I have to touch them. You believe you are a protector. My name is Patricia. I have no question. There are two dozen identities. I'm Mary Reynolds. Por favor, senora. We almost got you, bro. That live in that body with you. The beast is coming any minute now for you guys. But what I am questioning is your belief that you are something more than human. And yet, it is 